Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Welcome to the last chapter of the Dhammapada. This chapter has been restored by John to the Buddha's original focus and intent, ending the ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So these are John's words introducing the 26th chapter of the Dhammapada, known as the Brahman Vaga. This concluding chapter is a direct and concise teaching on what is to be developed through a well-focused Dhamma practice and the profound benefits of practicing the Dhamma as intended and originally taught. The Brahman Vaga provides clear and profound guidance on how to distinguish between ordinary abstract views and confusing and contradictory dharmas rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths and useful and authentic Dhamma practice. The Buddha defines the result of a confused Dharma practice as his Dhamma by showing the practical and observable attainments developed by a skillful disciple of the Dhamma. A Brahmin refers to a Vedic priest of the highest religious class during the Buddha's life. The Buddha rejected the common Vedic-based religions, but he used the word Brahmin to refer to Arahants, those who awakened through the Eightfold Path. Most translations use monks referring to a person developing the Buddha's Dhamma, the Buddha never intended his Dhamma to be accessible and useful only, only to men who took vows. He presented his Dhamma without restrictions or bias of any kind, a true egalitarian, egalitarian Dhamma, unique in his time and today. So, in the last chapter... Chapter 25, the Buddha elaborates or talks about disciples, which are individuals who are studying the Dhamma and have not yet awakened. And in this chapter, he talks about an arahant. And he talks about the difference of, between a disciple and an arahant. He alludes to a difference that I kind of pulled out of it. So in chapter 25, which is the previous chapter, the Buddha explained a disciple as one who uses wise restraint. He says, wise restraint is always good. Wise restraint is always good. Wise restraint is always good. The conditioned mind or the ignorant mind will resist wise restraint or avoid wise restraint or move away from wise restraint by coming up with subtle reasons why I need to hold on. I need to hold on to this. And as disciples, we can choose to employ wise restraint to orient our minds towards the Dhamma. When we employ wise restraint, we're continually steering the mind back to what is occurring, which requires concentration. An arahant has practiced wise restraint to the point that the mind no longer moves away from what is occurring. It's just how the mind is now free of grasping or clinging. That seems entirely possible to me when it's, a, when, it's, when it's presented like that. And last class, which was Saturday's class, there was a great conversation um, that was going on about recognizing internal dialogue, narrative stories, fabrications, grasping, clinging, craving, internal, internal eye-making, and in the last two chapters, by comparing and contrasting a disciple and an arahant, this is something I noticed, the Buddha highlights wise restraint. The disciple has the choice 
to employ wiser strength. Wiser strength is the pivot point between mentally moving away from what's occurring or using concentration to stay with what's happening. Okay, so here's the Buddha's words. Engage in right effort. Root out the constant stream of craving. Abandon sense desires. Know the destruction of all conditioned things. Know the cool, calm peace of cessation. When an arahant has developed profound concentration and skillful insight, they know the Four Noble Truths and have abandoned all fetters. The skillful disciple is carefree and unfettered. They have abandoned craving and the objects of their craving. This one I call arahant. So there's his first explanation or sort of snapshot of the arahant. Again, fully awakened one. No longer has to employ wise restraint, just stays with what's occurring. This practice helps us see or watch the mechanics of the mind. Those mechanics can be individual distinct thought patterns and tendencies as well as entire entity, identities. All of this is occurring in the mind and therefore fabricated. skip over this commentary that I wrote. Oh, this is the part I want. Okay. So let me read this last, this last Buddha's words here. Let me read them again. The skillful disciple is carefree and unfettered. They have abandoned craving and the objects of their craving. This one I call an arahant. So unfettered. I just want to make sure that we're all aware that unfettered is actually referring to not just doesn't have any obstructions in their life. It means specifically doesn't have the fetters in the mind. And last class, John kind of went over or reviewed the fetters as delusion, doubt, beliefs and rites and rituals, lust, ill will, craving for imaginary and speculative self-establishment and non-physical realms, conceit, restlessness, and ongoing ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Don't get caught up in memorizing all of that. They're just mental habits that arise in the mind that we then, when we see them, when we recognize them, we want to employ wiser strength. Move back to what's occurring. Move back to the breath and the body. A fetter arises in the mind. We recognize it. We abandon it. With wiser strength, the fetter passes away on its own. Another fetter arises, we abandon it with wise restraint, it passes away on its own. This process is repeated until the mind is unfettered. No more fetters arise. Entirely doable. Okay, the Buddha's words. Those who are established in jhana, free of the defilements, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, passions cooled, calm, the task complete, liberated from ignorance, having reached the goal, these I call arahants. The sun illuminates the day, the moon illuminates the night, the warrior shines in their armor, the skillful disciple shines in jhana. Arahants illuminate day and night. The arahant has abandoned all unskillful behavior, their mind concentrated and serene, having renounced all their impurities, and they are true renunciates. The impurities are the things that we cling to. So again, we use wiser strength to abandon those things mentally. And that purifies the mind. A, a disciple should not be struck. If they are struck, they should renounce anger. Shame on those who would injure anyone or give in to anger. So again, a disciple is still using wiser strength as they are still experiencing fetters. So there's, I'm, I'm making a distinction there between a disciple, somebody who's studying the Dhamma, somebody who's not fully awakened, and an arahant, which is someone who is fully awakened. So a disciple may be struck physically. They might be struck by something somebody says. They might be attacked verbally, emotionally, or physically in some way. Perhaps 
anger arises in them, but they abandon it using wise restraint. Buddha's words. Nothing is superior for the skillful disciple than wise restraint. To the extent that anger and ill will is abandoned is the extent that suffering will subside. To the extent that anger and ill will is abandoned is the extent that suffering will subside. Anger and ill will are very weighty emotions. So they have this distractibility. Anger and ill will are the mind states that are likely to distract us. The Buddha points this out over and over and over again through all of his teachings. Not just here. So what it looks like to stay present with anger and ill will is entirely personal, but for every disciple it requires wise restraint. It involves some gentleness of knowing there is stress because of the nature of mind. Anger and ill will will arise even in a disciple, even in somebody who's studying the Dhamma. And it requires concentration to remain focused on the breath and feelings and thoughts arising when anger and ill will is in the mind because of the nature of anger and ill will. It physiologically hijacks your mind. But it is entirely possible to stay with the breath and allow angry feelings and thoughts of ill will to arise and pass away. This is wise restraint. Buddha's words. Those restrained in thought, word, and deed I call skillful disciples. Just as a Brahmin priest reveres his sacrificial fire, so should a skillful disciple revere the Dhamma taught by me. It is not by matted hair or lineage or birth does one become a skillful disciple. Those that know the truths, the Four Noble Truths, and are free of conflict are skillful disciples. What is the use of your matted hair or antelope hide, foolish one? Within you is the tangle of passion. It is only outwardly that you cleanse yourself. The person who wears robes made of rags, lean, vein showing everywhere, who develops jhana in seclusion, this one can be called a skillful disciple. I do not call a person a skillful disciple because of their lineage or their birth. If they continue to cling to worldly entanglements, they're just arrogant. Those who are free of craving and free of clinging to false dharmas, dhammas, I call skillful disciples. Okay, I want to read John's words again here. So here again is the Buddha's emphasis on recognizing the foolishness of clinging to any fabricated hierarchy. The only lineage relevant to the Buddha's dhamma is the lineage of the dhamma itself, as preserved in the Sutta Pitaka, the second book of the Pali Canon. So what's being said here is that basically you are responsible for your own awakening. No one can do that for you. So don't be distracted by impressing others or convincing others that you are awakened or of anything at all because it will not bring cessation. There's nothing that'll be bestowed upon you when it comes to the Dhamma. It's just through your own right effort or your continual application of wise restraint that will lead to your experience of unbinding or cessation or cessation of suffering. Right. Recall that to the extent that anger and ill will is abandoned is the extent that suffering will arise, subside. Sorry. So to the extent that anger and ill will is abandoned is the extent that suffering will subside. So don't waste your time. Don't waste your time trying to convince others of anything. Just get to it. Get to that wise restraint and start staying with what's happening. Okay, John's words here. The concluding section of this chapter describes in detail the entirely attainable qualities of a disciple who has completed the Eightfold Path, an arahant.
I'm going to, okay. Buddha's words. A person who has abandoned all fetters and clinging to wrong views, liberated from ignorance, trembles no more. I call this person an arahant. A skillful disciple who has cut the bonds of hatred and craving, abandoned all wrong views, abandoned all defilements, released from ignorance, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple without ill will, who endures abuse and beatings and punishment, whose real power is patience, I call them an arahant. So I'm going to just pause here to say that. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that. Okay, I'm going to keep reading. A skillful disciple who's free from anger, devoted to the Dhamma, virtuous, free of craving, well-restrained, unprovoked by ignorance, I call them an arahant. Like water on a lotus leaf or a mustard seed on the point of a needle, the skillful disciple who is free of clinging to central pleasures, I call them an arahant. So clinging to central pleasures here means grasping after what I think will give me physical pleasure or some kind of sensual pleasure. This is fabrication I'm making. This next part, the Buddha explains an arahant from a lot of different angles. And I just want to read it rather than stopping and explaining each part. Know that every line by line explanation of an arahant is saying essentially the same thing in a lot of different ways. These are different ways that summarize other individual teachings of the Buddha that were designed for particular audiences. And when he says things, the same thing in a lot of different ways, when he explains an arahant in a lot of different ways, he cuts through lots of different kinds of conditioned thinking. So don't feel as though you need to understand every definition of what an arahant is. All of these explanations beautifully illustrate a human being that is fully present with life as life occurs. And it comes through that it is entirely possible to to develop this ability by practicing wise restraint within the context of the Buddha's Dhamma. The Buddha's words. A skillful disciple who is who in this very lifetime realizes the end of suffering, who has put down the burden of self-referential views and become liberated, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple with profound knowledge, wise, skilled in understanding the right and the wrong path, who has reached the highest goal, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who is disentangled from householders and and ascetics alike, who wanders freely with no fixed abode, wanting little, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who has abandoned violence toward all living beings, whether weak or strong, who neither kills nor causes others to kill, I call them an arahant. (coughs) A skillful disciple who remains friendly in a hostile world, peaceful in the midst of violence, Free of clinging amongst a clinging world, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple whose lust, hatred, pride, hypocrisy have fallen away like a mustard seed from the point of a needle, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who speaks with gentle, useful, truthful words, free of ill will, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who takes nothing not freely given to them, free of grasping, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who grasps after nothing in this world or any other world, free of desire, liberated, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who has developed perfect insight and is free of clinging to wrong views, free of doubt, free of the living death of ignorance, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who has abandoned the yoke of grasping after merit or clinging to demerit, free of sorrow and regret, stain-free and pure, I call them an arahant. The skillful disciple who is as spotless, pure, clear, and serene as a full moon on a cloudless night, taking no delight in a fabricated existence, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who is no longer mired in this perilous and deluded world, who has crossed over the swamp of ignorance, their minds free of all doubt, 
resting in jhana, their passions extinguished, who have reached the goal, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who has abandoned sensual pleasures and the continuation of clinging to ignorance in any realms, speculated or unimaginary, free of all worldly entanglements, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who has cast off the yoke of eye-making in this world and in all fabricated realms, free of ignorance, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who has abandoned likes and dislikes, greed and aversion, who has abandoned all conditioned beliefs, who has established a calm mind through jhana, a conqueror of all worlds, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who understands impermanence and the arising and passing away of all beings, free of all clinging, truly fortunate and liberated, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who does not chase gods, angels, divas, or human ideology, who has overcome all defilements, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who does not cling to the past, present, or future, who's not holding on to grasping after anything of the world, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple, noble, heroic, excellent, passionless, pure, a true conqueror of the world, totally liberated from ignorance, I call them an arahant. A skillful disciple who knows the arising and passing away of all phenomena, who understands pleasure and pain, who has gained the true insight into the three marks of existence, who can no longer give birth to even a moment of ignorance, who has reached the highest goal of understanding and calm, I call them an arahant. It's the end of the sutta. Excellent. <laughs> so that last explanation, in case you zoned out, you know, go back over it, but it does have lots of, you know, references to all, lots and lots of other suttas and the Dhamma in general. So the explanation of Arahant again, can just be summarized with some, as someone who is fully present with life as life occurs. Let's go around the room. Anybody that has to leave, because we've got a big class, anybody that has to leave early, we need to hear from first. Zoomers? Rumors? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> okay, Brian. What do you got What's to say? There, huh? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, gosh, I don't want to go first on this one. Um, it, it just feels, I mean, talk about a climax, right? And, and this is just every, feels like every facet from every chapter in the Dhammapada pulling from all the suttas and just hammering it home um, in, a, in a very interesting literary style um, that's repetitive for a reason um, but still getting to the same point and, it, and you're right it doesn't really matter which of the 20 odd skillfuls it is it, it's all coming back to being present with life as life is occurring so um, fantastic job thank you for teaching this this oh. was great thank you thank you Thanks, Brian. Jeff, you ready to go second? Sure. (laughs) You can also take noble silence. Yeah. Well, no, I just, uh, which I generally do, but I'm struck with uh, the, uh, the impression that that uh, this was written in challenging times that are completely applicable to our times and which mm-hmm. makes it probable that any time is challenging. Yep. Uh, I doubt that there's any especially more challenging or less challenging to, to be uh, experiencing dukkha. Um, Great insight. 
Yeah, that, I'll leave it at that. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, I almost went on and on and on about uh, the ill will and the and the anger piece and, and what's going on in the world today. And, and then I realized that, you know, it's not special. <laughs> um, John. Good evening. My turn. Good evening. Thank you very much for this. Um, I can say one thing for sure. I'm a long way from being an arrogant. <laughs> but I knew that. But with, what this teaching does, at least as I see it in the end, is, is I wrote down goals. It sets the goals. It's summarized. These are the goals. You know, we're here in this saga to recognize that, you know, we have some deluded thinking and fabrications about things. We're all on different levels of steps to get to a certain point. And what is that point? This is the sutta that describes the goals of what we're trying to, to be arahant, to be these characteristics, to achieve these properties of, of pure thought, pure mind, pure uh, ignore, uh, beyond uh, deluded thinking, uh, understand the fabrications and get beyond all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of just how, in the end, it's, it's um, it, it, for me, that's how what it's really doing and saying here it is this is what we're here to achieve you know if you're going to do something if we're going to have right thinking and right intention right motivation uh, what what is the goal what, what are we going for and, and in the end this kind of summarizes it in and i think jeff said it well in a very good uh, verbiage a good way of um, of spelling out the goals of what we're trying to do here in the end right that's what i thought thank you that's it Thank you. Um, I, I think it can, it, you know, moment by moment can feel like um, there's too much to do and, and, and it's too difficult and there's, it's, it's a long way off and it's a far way away and, and, um, and then other times it can feel like not not so not so much like that um and that's just um orienting us to the impermanence of even our own mind and and what it is that we're deciding we need to achieve um but the buddha gave us this example to let us all know that this is something that could happen. It's something that a human being did. And um, they did it just by using wise restraint to continually interrupt the process of, I need to grasp after something, I need to achieve something, I need to change something, I need to fix something, and just come back to what is occurring so, yeah. You got this, man. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's the one thing about the what starting this is yeah, I, it's not so much a faith, but I have a trust. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. I, I, it's not a faith, you know, like other systems out there not to knock them, but it's a trust. Yeah, I keep doing this. Makes sense. Some of this can be achieved. Yep, not absolutely. Now, someday, you yep, know, that's, yep. that's the goal here, Yeah, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Nina. Hi. Hi. Tiny Tree Ot PC Brits. I got a little nervous when I first saw uh, that. Oh, I'm an occupational therapist. <laughs> okay. Sorry, it's my work. <laughs> um, I don't have a lot to say. I just, something I wrote down was um, in the beginning of the teaching when you were sort of more focused on wise restraint before you listed all the things that I'm still trying to do. Um, I wrote down the power of a pause. Like, and it made me think about um, injecting a pause into communication, into thoughts, into actions, uh, and how 
that creates space for you, but then also for the other. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been listening to a lot of neuroscience podcasts <laughs> and just how beneficial a pause can be on your whole neurological system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it made me yeah. think of. So in the context of the Dhamma, a pause would be coming back to what's happening in the body right now that's practicing wise restraint mindfulness Mindfulness. noticing the quality of your mind noticing noticing feelings arise thoughts arise Mm. coming back to the breath in the body and that is absolutely beneficial because it's allowing for feelings to arise and pass away on their own and not grabbing onto them and using them to identify me. Yeah. They're always planning like three steps ahead. I tend to do that. Like I get caught in like what's next or what do I need to control to make something else happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. Duck in this. Yeah. Uh, Achieve. So I like get. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then Sometimes it's an hour in advance. Sometimes it's a day in advance, a week in advance. Sometimes it's 10 minutes from now, but it's always moving away from what's happening. Mm-hmm. Wise or strength? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Jane. Hi. Hi. Okay, right now I am in awe of you as a fellow teacher. How you could put in a full day of teaching, especially under hybrid conditions, and keep that smile and and do such a great lesson. It's the Dhamma. So I admit all. It's the Dhamma. There must be your love for the Dhamma. Yeah. yeah. Um, as I was listening to this, it's always nice to, to hear what our goal is, you know, mm. to hear all what it's going to be like when we're, you know, we're awakened. And I do believe that it's attainable. Um. But my focus now is on the journey. Excellent. You know, on the path. You know I'm on the path. It's, it's the day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute mm-hmm. effort, right effort. And, um, and it's also about the people that are also on the path, um, you know, the support of the Dhamma members. With our study of the Dhammapada, that was just really evident. I mean, what was brought, you know, the understanding brought by the, the rest of the Sangha was just amazing so that's what it's about now great but thank you yeah I, I thank you for saying that Jane um, because in this teaching even in this teaching even in the Dhamma even when we're we're with our Sangha and and being supported to practice jhana and and wise restraint just because that's what we're talking about today, you can be presented with the explanation of an arahant, the explanation of a a fully awakened human being, and immediately grasping mind turns that into goal. I I need to get there. That's where I have to go. That's what I have to achieve. And so now it's just another thing that you're trying to get to. So by saying... It's about the journey. I, I really appreciate that because that is using wise restraint to come back to what's occurring and uh, experiencing life as life occurs. So thank you for framing it that way. I don't know if you realized you did that, but you did it for me. So Thank you. Did I get everybody on here? I think I did. Oh, Julia. Hello. Hi. Um, thank you very much for the teaching. <clears throat> I'm still putting my book together. Sorry. Um, no, that's okay. <laughs> the, the, the one thing that kept on being repeated over and over again was the three marks of existence, the three marks of existence, and, and that very um, understanding is the true insight. Uh, you know, um, understanding this is like is true insight. And um, that's what I, that's what I got from from this sutta, and th- that that is an, an arahant understands that, 
understands the three marks of existence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, it's just the description of reality, of that there's nothing, that everything is impermanent. Um, everything we see, we smell, we touch, we taste, ev everything all around us um, comes in through the, the sixth sense base. Um, it, it's all impermanent. And um, that's the understanding that we have to, that we have to accomplish, which is very difficult mm -hmm. because maybe we can understand it um, literally, like as, you know, just understanding the concept. It's like, oh yeah, I understand that. But to actually experience it is very, very difficult, mm. you know, to, to actually practice it in, in our daily life. Um, we have to understand that there's nothing here that um, is permanent. Everything is changeable. And um, I don't know. That's all I. That's really all I. You know. That's what I. That's what I got. This was a very heavy duty uh, <laughs> sutta. You know. I was trying to like. I mean, it's 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 it, you're able to break it down and understand it, but it's it's not so simple. It's very it's it's very profound. Mm -hmm. It's it's there's a lot there's mm -hmm. a lot here. Yeah. It's kind of pulled in. It's like a big final exam. <laughs> Sorry, not exam, but exactly. yeah, review of a final exam. But, but, he, but he's definitely so telling a me lot that he, of that stuff yeah, there. That, that he is understanding the three marks of existence, understanding our reality. That's mm -hmm. what it is. So that's what, that's what I got out of it. Thank you. Michael? Uh, nice job on that presentation, by the way. It was oh. very skillful. Skillfully done. Thank you. Um, couple things in here, just a couple, but uh, one thing I always uh, kind of uh, read, comes up is, or in, in, our, in our readings is, the completion of the Eightfold Path. Right, John? The completion of the Eightfold Path. And I know this is kind of like a, like, mm -hmm. you know what, it's, it's kind of like not such a simple thing to understand, but like, when do we complete the Eightfold Path? <laughs> like, I thought like, we continue on with the Eightfold Path after we understand that which we are not. When we recognize the not-self, that makes room for the Eightfold Path to, to arise within us. Or that's where we should operate from the Eightfold Path, understand the Eightfold Path. So, when does that, I don't understand uh, why it's written like that, the completion of the Eightfold Path, so I'm lacking a, a profound understanding of that. So. I'm not pointing this question at you, but mm. I'm pointing it to, to the Sangha. Uh, you know, obviously, John, you're the, uh, the main, main uh, guru here. So, well, if you have, if, if we do have an answer to this, so like a better understanding? Sure, we all do. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking, what are we practicing when we're practicing restraint? We're practicing right view, right mm -hmm. intention, right speech, right yes. action, right mm -hmm. livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right meditation. Well, the Eightfold Path is also a fabrication, isn't it? I mean, haven't yes. we talked about yes. that? It's a useful fabrication. Yeah, I think the confusion might be just using the word completion as that's the end and there's nothing else. But it's like you completed the ninth inning, but there's another ball game tomorrow. Oh, I see. In okay. That, in that sense, it's, it's complete and it's, and it's characterized by the finish of this, the Dhammapada, the description of an arahant. Does that help, Michael? Yeah, well, John, didn't you, I had one time uh, before say that... Uh, a profound understanding of the Eightfold Path, right? That's uh, a profound understanding of the Eightfold Path, then, to me, would, I just think you would, I think you just exist in right view. Yeah. I think you, uh, point to what's occurring. I think you uh, basically have uh, a grasp on on your desire, or actually, you uh, recognize your desire in each moment, as you know, each moment uh, that we exist in, you recognize desire, no matter how subtle that desire might be. But that keeps you that keeps you focused uh, in, in right view. So uh, that's what I th that's what I think it is. I just think it's a. Uh, um, a complete understanding of and how to stay in that present mm. moment yeah. with holding in mind the eightfold path or refine mind only. Refine mind Yeah. Would that be accurate? Yeah. yeah. But you also have to keep in mind that, again, it, it is 
the Eightfold Path is a practice. So to only put it on understanding isn't quite grasping the whole thing there. Yes. It I is it is a practice. The practice will lead to understanding, but completing the Eightfold Path has more to do with being complete in your practice. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with that. And that understanding that you develop through the Eightfold Path now becomes your ongoing right view. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the that's the completion of the path. Again, it doesn't mean that your life is over. Or there's no there's no other purpose or meaning in your life. In fact, it does mean that every moment will then be meaningful, rather than looking for something else. John, can I just um, ask you if this is a right way of looking at it? I always thought that the evil path is kind of like scaffolding. You know, um, you needed to like it's like uh, to, to strengthen keep like some something strong and so we needed the April path we needed it as our practice I mean our hands would not because they're there already they so it falls away it's not necessary they they thought that's their, that's that's who they are you know they follow it yeah. is that the right way of looking at it yeah well, like this, chaplain, that's why you complete when you're when yes you're there, this, this you chapter operated. makes that connection from the from the wise disciple in fact mm -hmm. that's really the point of the, the longer points of this chapter that Someone who's engaged in Dharma practice, we all are. We are disciples. We're practicing. All that means is we're practicing a discipline. It doesn't mean anything else other than that. And we're practicing the discipline of the Eightfold Path that takes us to the point where we become something that's labeled as an arahant, which is someone who lives within, lives within moment by moment human life from the perspective of right view. That's what I was going to. Can I answer one thing? I room to answer. Up to Jen. No, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, yeah go uh, ahead. What you were saying before, Michael, that's sort of what John just said. You know, an auspicious day is what the culmination of the Eightfold, you know, experiencing moment by moment, life as life occurs. When you when you notice that, that's an auspicious day. And what do you do as a practitioner or an arahant or a disciple? You get up and you live another day and you practice again and you do it again and you have another auspicious day and what do you do again? You go and you practice again and you have another auspicious day and you keep living in the practice and in time you embody it. You know, you embody it. Yeah, and that the embodiment of that, of the practice of the Eightfold Path or interchangeably practicing restraint is relational. So, you're in right view in relation to desire, greed, aversion, whatever. You're in right view towards, you're in right intention towards that. You're in right speech towards that. You're in right effort towards that. Whatever is coming up, you're in relation to. And the practice of restraint which is also the practice of the Eightfold Path, is in relation to what's coming up. It's not, and I, you know, I like, Julia, what, how you're thinking and, and thinking of it. I'd also try to think maybe that the, the, the rigidity of the scaffolding metaphor is, is too rigid, maybe. And, and there's some, some way that, it, that it's more... Um, Flexible and alive, adaptable. Yeah. And within that scaffolding, think of the factors of awakening, mm -hmm. the critical investigation of what takes place. It's not dwelling on something. It's within that scaffolding. You're running up against these things that are always coming up: ill will, anger, the hindrances. And there is wise investigation. So with all that, it, it's leading toward the cessation of suffering. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Um, Grant? Yes. Yes. Hi, I'm Jen. Hi, I'm Jen. I think it's my name. I'm just going to observe. Okay.
Thank you. That's the most profound comment, I think. Yeah, word. <laughs> nice job. Gold star. Dustin, okay. how's it going? Good. Thank you. Um, as Michael was speaking, I'm new at this, you know, but what was coming up for me is that, like, if life is stress, right, life will always find a way to bring stress into your life, right? It will always challenge you. So, like, this eightfold path of becoming this enlightened person, it's almost like as long as we're alive, you'll always be challenged, right? Life will always yeah. challenge you. Mm -hmm. Life is stressful. Somebody will die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something will happen. Right. No matter how enlightened you think you are, something's going to come your way that's going to cause stress, right? It's just the nature of... Well, if you... If, if you the, yes, but there's a differentiation between stress and suffering. So you can... You're ex, you might experience the death of a loved one, which will cause... An emotional arising, upwelling. It's it's the I don't want to be feeling this. I can't be feeling this. I want to move away from feeling this. That causes the suffering. And so, the closer that you get to experiencing feelings and thoughts and overall states of mindfulness arise and pass away on their own without resisting them, without fighting them, allowing them to arise and pass away and stay with and remain at peace, then, you know, that's an arahant. Yeah. And that is, that, that space is, is developed by continuing to practice wise restraint when the stress occurs, the feelings arise, and we mentally move away from them, or we physically bear down on them, or whatever it is, instead of allowing them to occur and remaining present for ourselves or with ourselves or as they occur, however you want to say it. Which would be the most meaningful experience, right? To be present with the, yeah. the most. I mean, in my world. <laughs> without it, without in my world. Yeah. Not taking anything personal. I think all I think <laughs> all three of us and, dealt yeah, with think about, there is a, a death <laughs> in the last week, yeah. strangely, no, and it no. was it was when I was at this, and I was at a uh, viewing this past week, and it was uh, profound. It was uh, intense. I I don't know that it was suffering. You know? It was appropriate. Right. And yeah. so it's really like it's a lot of adding. We're doing a lot of mental adding. But you didn't need that moment to be any different than it was. You could stay present with it. Well, I, no. I mean, I, I was using wise restraint to stay with what was occurring. And that was much more, it was way less, much less suffering than, than you know. Yeah, sometimes we have to whatever dithering about the Dharma flows, and sometimes we have to actively take control of our mind. Yeah, that's what, that's what Jen mm -hmm. just described there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and th there's benefits to practice as soon as we start, and then there's sometimes we've got to get down. To, and Michael was referencing that too. When desire arises, we recognize it because we've learned that this is the cause of my suffering. I don't want to take it personal. Let it go. Yeah. So just to, I feel like that's what you were saying, but I was just kind of, I feel like I was just like. Just doing a little adjustment, yeah. just because stress will always occur, but we don't have to suffer over it. Yeah, well, the suffering is optional, right? That's yeah. Just, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, and when you're yeah. ignorant, you don't even know that it's an option. Right. Yeah, because you're taking it personal. The Salata Sutta is going to mean a lot to you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. It gets directly to that. And something that. else I, I noticed when we were talking, when you were talking, when you were reading the teaching that, that that giving up the passions or not having the passions. Mm, yeah. Uh, sometimes I think like, well I want passion. You yeah. Know? Like I want but what I've noticed recently is that the passions don't um, lead me anymore. 
Like, mm-hmm. I'll do mm-hmm. things, and then the thing becomes meaningful. Mm-hmm. But I'm not led to, like, oh, I really desire to do this thing or that. You know, I guess, that is that clinging or... You're craving? not going like, after, grasping, yeah, yeah craving. The aren't leading, but the things that I do as I'm doing it become more meaningful. Yeah. Because you're present, fully present you're, with you're them. You're not projecting into the future anymore. Yeah. This is what the yeah, you're not moving away from what's occurring. So you're having a mundane, boring day, and then you start grasping after a passion versus being engaged in something you're passionate about and experiencing whatever feelings arise naturally yeah. during that process. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I've noticed. Cool. Yeah. And that noticing is the dollar. I think I I listen to the last I listen to because I drive I I have a long drive to work so in preparation for this class I listened to an old class like from 2019 and that was a sticking point for a lot of other individuals in that particular class which is a totally different group of people with the, the passion piece that was a sticking point then too and like pulling teeth back then <laughs> John you're up. Uh-oh. <laughs> noble silence? <laughs> I was yeah, just kidding. I'll try to if I ever practice noble silence. <laughs> 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 and I won't now. Uh, but again, what a marvelous class, Jen. You, you did such an excellent job you, um, making that important connection between wise restraint as an aspect of jhana and refined mindfulness as the key to what we're doing. Uh, and you brought up a couple times anger and ill will, that, that almost seems like it's too narrowly defined, but anger describes uh, the strong emotion that often arises from ill will, and ill will covers every kind of whiny uh, dislike I have about my life or other people in mm-hmm. my life. It, really is. it covers every, every self-referential <clears throat> idea or feeling or notion that I have is ill will. I don't like this, I don't mm. like me, I don't like you, I don't like the world. And even what, what Dustin was, was referring to, when we could let go of that, that whiny way of living in the world, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like you, mm-hmm. then we're free. And yeah. look, at what's, look at what is imprisoning us. It's that ill will, that whininess about, I need something to be different than it is, rather than the radical acceptance that Siddhartha G. taught us. It's just, and why shouldn't it? Because it's already occurring. You know, we don't have to accept anything that's about to occur. We don't even have to accept anything that has occurred. All we have to do is accept what's occurring. That's why I like what Jeff said. All that, all this stress and it's nothing special. Yeah, it's just, it's just stress. <laughs> nothing special. Great job, Thank you, John. Matt? Thank you. <clears throat> really good. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I just, I really appreciate what Sangha brought to this mm-hmm. and, uh, what everyone said and, and um, noble silence thanks Matt glad you're here don't forget our friend oh Laura look went around I did a round robin <laughs> sorry Laura. Saving the best for last <laughs> thanks David no I'm just like amazed at how wonderful your explanation was and just mm. the clarity and the, I, I don't know, you can just tell like how much right effort you put into this because oh, I just feel empowered but not in a way that it's like feeling my ego but like, oh, this is attainable. Mm-hmm. And so thank you. Yeah. I'll just keep it at that and I'm oh. enjoying listening to everyone. So. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Whew. I was like struggling at the beginning. I was like double, extra super double thinking everything. So I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) The little eye making in there. (laughs) When when did you text me? Yeah. Two weeks ago. (laughs) Two weeks ago. Yeah. I was talking about it two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. I texted him. I called John. (laughs) David? I like the mechanism of restraint in the transition to the release mm. because it shows a process mm-hmm. you know the things that I showed restraint 
now they don't occur. Yep. And that's the, the transition to a different conditioned mind. Yep. I'm not conditioned to react. And that's the practice of refined mindfulness. So I used to say, does Sarah Buddha show restraint? I was like, mm-hmm. it didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. The mecha, why would he need that mechanism of why restraint as being an awakened human being? But it's a process, so it gives me comfort to know that there's the goal, just yeah. the, the goal. So, thank you. <coughs> Dave, excuse me. Thank you, the direction. You touched on something there. The, the, an Arahant practices wise restraint because it's an aspect of being an awakened human being. Mm-hmm. It's not because they, they have to or they're compelled to. It's what you do. It's got to be called something else, though, because... He's released all that. He's yeah, but the mindfulness and the and the understanding that this is what I what I am applying in each moment in my life is is an aspect of being awakened. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a chore. It's just something that you do. I mean, I, and I bet you we you know we could all recognize that if you're practicing the Dhamma, you're practicing wise restraint. It might not be at the level of an arahant just yet, but it, and, and even Dustin was mentioning that that is wise restraint. When we, when we, in this moment, when we recognize we're caught up in it and we let it go, that's wise restraint. Mm-hmm. But it's also something that an awakened human being does simply as a consequence of being present in the world. You know, things that come along that you that are kind of begging you to pick them up, and you just say, "Nope, not mine, not me, not what I am." Mm-hmm. The Arahant uh, or the disciple, um, most more than likely, I would probably think that the Arahant would uh, have that dispassion towards wrong view, right? Would you say? Yeah, yeah in, in general, I would say, yes. You know, established at that point. Yep. So that is, I guess, would that be, would you say then that this, this that would be, uh, maybe separate uh, a disciple from a, from an arahant is the fact that the arahant is at the point where he's developed that dispassion as to what occurs, and the dispassion is very important because we've used the uh, uh, the uh, metaphor about the island unto oneself. Mm-hmm. So when we're dispassionate and we don't engage, right? Um, and it's obviously because our our minds are empty at that point of all that we are not. Right? Then we have things slow down, and dispassion, the dispassion enables us to recognize that which we are not, and to not engage with them. Yeah, yeah that's it. And there's gradations of that, meaning there's the, the wise disciple is having that experience, it's just not an ongoing, of, of wise restraint, of not, being, not personalizing this moment. We've, again, we've all done that. The arahant does it as a natural consequence of what's occurring in this moment in an ongoing basis. That's it. And that really is the only difference. It's just, it's, it's more of that peace and calm that comes from depersonalizing what's occurring. Is it just the refined mindfulness that's yeah. the difference? Yeah, or you could say a, a ultimately refined mindfulness. But again, that, the, 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 once awakened, we're still living in the world. There's still, the stress still arises. The Buddha didn't say, or he didn't teach a Dhamma to eliminate stress because he understood that was impossible. But we understand it. Mm. And so we don't take it personal. Meaning understanding, I understand this is a stressful moment. But I don't have to take it personal. I don't have to insist that it be any different. When a loved one dies, I feel the sadness. I don't have to blame anything or think that it should be different. And that's, that's an aspect of being a human being. The Buddha... I was going to say the Buddha taught us to be human beings. What he wanted from all of us is to be a human being, which means having feelings that we don't take personal, mm-hmm. having ideas about the world and other people that we don't take personal. They're free of self-reference, mm-hmm. and so we live in peace. Kev, my turn. Your turn. Wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, uh, thank you for all the contributions thus far. It's uh, helped me to uh, sort of uh, 
expand on the thought I had about this, but one particular description that struck me in your very detailed and well-paced uh, presentation here was this description of the Arahant that said, free of conflict. I think we've all been talking about this all the way around the room because that's what we're ultimately talking about here. A disciple as the Buddha describes in the sutta, is practicing, continuing the practice, going through the Eightfold Path, all of these things. Ultimately, though, this point of conflict, mm. where does the conflict reside? It resides in our mind. And, mm -hmm. and the conflict is going to reside or come from the hindrances we've talked about in the past, the defilements we've mm -hmm. talked about in the past. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't believe I just forgot Fetters. The fetters, excuse yeah. me. Thank you. <clears throat> Half an hour chewing on that. <laughs> so ultimately, the refined mindfulness is what we're practicing here is, is to really become that intimate with ourselves and our own mind and how our own mind works and where we're in conflict mm -hmm. with others, with the world, with ourselves, with all of those three sort of groups so I really liked how everybody sort of brought us here. And that's ultimately, again, the ultimate responsibility of this practice. It is, it is the deepest you can possibly go to find out where in your thoughts, where in your mind things are in conflict. Still in conflict. Or are, they, are you at ease, yeah. right? There's the difference. Mm -hmm. There's what we're talking about. The pause that's been brought up, mm -hmm. the restraint that's been brought up. Mm -hmm. The auspicious day, mindfully present with what occurs. I think we're getting there. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Yes. Always wrapping it up. This guy, you just summarized real well. That was a good wrap up. All right, Ram. Uh, and the, uh, the segue. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for a big job, because mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot to tie together. You know. uh, <clears throat> I I was um, really enjoying the, your, the the first part where you kept tying this restraint in to <clears throat> staying in the in the present. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know to keep that diversion, that constant diversion from happening. Uh, and one of the descriptions that is not mentioned here in the Dhammapada of the Arahant is where the Buddha says, the Arahant is one who has ended all becoming. Mm. So this this diversion of being in the moment, there's your becoming. And yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> we'll for the next, one. for the next, yes, <laughs> the next teaching. Yes, uh, actually, there was a teaching that Ron did. I don't remember what it was, but it was on. You were talking about becoming, and you kept using the phrase move, movement away from what's occurring. Mm -hmm. Movement in the mind away from what's happening, and wise restraint bring, brings the mind back to what's happening. So, no, you were here and I was there. Oh, so it wasn't oh yeah. I, I, well, that, <laughs> well, yeah. That, this, is, this is where, you know. Uh, Becoming, yeah, uh, being a verb or a noun gets to be an important thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. we'll Stay tuned. Thank you, everyone. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Great um, yeah. yeah, I'm just gonna. We'll just finish with the Karaniya Metta Sutta, and then you guys can all go to bed because <laughs> it's getting late. <laughs> So just get comfortable again. Find your relaxed meditation posture.
This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, freed from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again to this world. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.